Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another episode of the Motor Mouth Podcast. I'm Tim Sylvie, and I'll be asking the questions alongside Tomo F1. Now, today, we have Benjamin and Andy on the show. These are two of the founders of Lucky Sons, the Formula One team hopefuls. They've raised over a billion dollars and have a mission to not only enter Formula One as a new team, but bring in a host of expertise from Africa and Asia, as well as other underrepresented markets. They've already had an entry rejected by the FIA, something they certainly don't agree with, as you'll hear. Will they have another go? Will they buy an existing team? They're certainly talking to some. Or will they go into Formula E or the World Endurance Championship or perhaps all of the above? Let's jump in and find out as Tom and I have a fascinating chat with two pioneering disruptors looking to make their mark in Formula One. Andy, let's come to you first. Let's go back. We always like to go back a little bit and find out about our guests before we get started into the nitty gritty. So what's the background? What, what's led you to this point? Where have you come from? Um, it's probably, I say, so let's, let's, let's take it all the way back to, I suppose, I suppose my first role in the sport. I, got, I, was lucky to, I was lucky to work for my idol, Barry Hearn, um, sports promoter. And, and I 100% put him down as the world's greatest sports promoter. He's, a, he's, the, he's the OG of the sports promotion world. And um, I was, you know, my, my dad knew him. My dad knew that I was always watching snooker. I was always watching darts, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I just said, uh, I said, one day I really want to meet the guy. And I met the guy. He introduced me to him at Cheltenham Races. And then on, I just literally, I was, I was, I was 12 at the time. And, you know, whilst other kids were having sort of, you know, Brian Robson or, or Frank Stapleton as their as, as their idols, their sporting idols. Barry was mine, and and, and that, I think that sort of sets the path quite nicely for me because I'm, I'm more. I've always been more interested in the business side of sport rather than the actual sport itself. Let's say it like that. So, um, so I got my first job with him. He said, "I'm going to give you the worst," and I'm going. These are his words. So I'm going to. There is going to be a bit of blasphemy here. Um, I'm going to give you the worst fucking job you've ever had, and you'll ever have. And that was that was um, putting up sponsorship banners on a golf course. Driving around the country in a van, 
uh, lifting these sponsorship banners around golf courses, et cetera, et cetera. And I did that for three months. And he, and he's, because he previously said to me, if you leave me, I'm going to break your fucking kneecaps in that time. So he sort of, you know, he set, set the tone very nicely for, for what life was like at Matchroom Sport in, in those days. Yeah, it was, it was, Barry's very entrepreneurial. He just says it how he is, uh, much in the same way sort of Dana White says it now, right? But I think Barry was, was the original. And um, ultimately, within a year, I sort of found myself in the office, office-based, working on the darts, working on, on the televised poker, um, left the golf side of the business. But I was sitting opposite Barry. And so I was... I was listening to him. I was learning from him, you know, the way that he would speak to people, um, the way that he would deal sometimes out, you know, the way that he would turn that screw when he was trying to close a deal. And sort of you, you, you know, the, the, the four or five years I had with him was an education. Um, the best, the, the, the thing that I learned from him, which is why I sort of take into my, my Formula One activities now, is that you know, the, the man on the street should be your audience. And if you give them a good time, they'll keep coming back. Um, and, and stupidly, I decided to leave Barry home because I was an ambitious little bastard. And, um, and I found myself, found myself very pally with a, with a, with a Formula One journalist, um, who had a good relationship with Bernie Eccleston. Um, he kept taking ideas to Bernie Eccleston about various sponsorship deals, et cetera, et cetera. And Bernie actually said to him, um, I think you should set up your own agency, mate. Um, and that's sort of where I came on board. We, we, we worked together for, um just shy of 10 years started off in formula one i'm never going to pretend that we set the world alight i was no zach brown uh our our agency which was which was us two was it was never going to be a jmi but we did all right you know we earned a living we were quite brave in what we were doing we've got ourselves a good little reputation of, uh, of being sort of um being open to some crazy ideas and sort of go searching for the money and sourcing and creating and consulting and advising on various things we so that was Formula One. Then we, because of the reputation, we, we we were getting approached by other various rights holders in other various sort of entertainment platforms like AEG. So we started doing some work with them. And and I think basically what ultimately ended up happening was I went through a bit of a bad period from a personal life point of view. And I just sort of went a little bit rogue. Um, and it, it, was, it was probably difficult for my business partner at the time to sort of continue with me. I was making it very difficult for him. Um, and so ultimately we split. I decided to, uh, then go and manage a boxer for three years, which was insanely good. You know, I had no experience. Which one? His name was Umar top boxer Sadiq. So he was a, he was a Nigerian Olympic boxer. I turned it, I turned him pro in 2017. I signed him to Frank Warren, got him on BT sport. Um, I was signing sponsorship deals that he had no right in, in getting at the time because he was a complete newbie. Um, and you know, and I built his profile up much like you do Tim with, with content creators right now, yeah. yourself, Tomo as well. This is, I always understood that, you know, you, you've got to, I suppose this takes me back to the Barry Hearn days, right? You've got to create personas, you've got to create characters and you've got to create rivalries because rivalries sell no matter what sport it is, you know, people want to feel something. People want to feel sort of, a, you know, the, the good versus the bad type of vibe. And, and, and I took that to Uma. Um, and we had some really good fun. And I basically, for three years, I just lived off the adrenaline of, of fight week. It was, it, it, it was, it was insanely, it was, in, it was so much fun, you know, the yeah. experience and just that whole sort of vibe, you know, I did my brains financially, but it didn't matter at the time. I was having a really good time. And it is good fun, isn't it? I, I, uh, I was lucky enough to work with uh, Eddie a little bit mm. because, um, it was some of the random things I've done. I, I ended up in Saudi Arabia for, um, the Ruiz, uh, Joshua fight 
and um, spent the week in fight week, my first ever fight week experience. And we had the the hotels were right next to each other. So we had the Louise camp and the Joshua camp and Eddie was there and all these people and, you know, Diamond and all those guys, Diamante, what's his name? Diamante. Diamante. And uh, the buzz was incredible. I've never experienced anything like that in the sporting environment. It's a mad world, that boxing. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't talk from that sort of that size of an event because, you know, my guy was on the come up. But it didn't matter. You know, it was still rugged. I was still visiting the gym. I was still going to fight week, you know, making sure that he was, I suppose, not not making sure that he was making weight or anything like that. Because I didn't, I didn't involve myself in the in the training side of things. I just stuck to what I wanted to do, which was business and the sort of the, the, the character and the, and the content, etc. But it was so good. It was so intense. Just being around, in and around that sort of, you know, that, those different characters where it could just literally just kick off at a moment's notice at a press yeah. conference. And it did sometimes, you know, but you sort of, it's like, well, this is boxing. This is what people want to see. I don't think, I don't think in boxing people want to see this sort of these um, very soft characters. Um, you know, these these people that want to, I don't know, just want to sort of do good. You know, ultimately we're we're there to see people bash people's heads in, and and that sounds really brutal. And obviously that's a that's a problem that boxing has, I suppose. And you know, that's a different conversation. But but then I. Um, then I decided I probably took him as far as I possibly could, and, and as luck would have it, have it, I um, then bumped into Benjamin Durant. There you go, and Benjamin's here on the call as well. Benjamin, I, I want to kind of ask you, I guess, the same question um, as we asked to Andy. You know, what is your obviously? I know managing director at SMP Racing, worked on the Lotus T125. You're in terms of the engineering and the that point of view. That I guess is 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 where where you come in. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I have more classical uh, background for the motorsport. Let's say, even though I've been involved in crazy projects, my career is 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 made of crazy. You know, uh, starting. I, I was lucky to start uh, with um, GMB, and it was Jean-Michel Bourrech and uh, uh, Jean-Pierre Jabouille, and it it was it was really. Um, the hardest way, but the best way to to start in in this profession, because uh, uh, Jean Pierre was a terrible person to manage uh, people underneath. He, he put you under pressure. Uh, that I, I never felt this kind of pressure working in any other programs, any other way. But it it was really really when you just get out of the school, starting to 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 work for the first time and and you have this level of of demand this level of commitment asking from you and and uh, attachments to detail etc it's it's i learned so much with him i mean and i kept this all my career where where i know what it takes to win we win many championships with him and after i, I won many more uh, after that because i know what it takes i know i know the commitments you have and i know i know, so it it was very very useful at the beginning, even if it was very, very hard. And then after with, with GMB, uh, we did some crazy project with the, the first one to be the NGT, uh, with Ferrari, uh, with a car, you know, from, from a, from a challenge car, which was crazy against factory and creating a, a structure in US. Uh, and then I, I left GMB after 10 years for Dubai to create a full championship, 30 cars, uh, NASCAR type cars in less than one year. And recruiting with local uh, mechanics and stuff like that, and train them and everything. So it was it was uh, another huge challenge. Then going back to Lotus and Europe uh, to create the T125. Same thing. It's a Formula One type car, but it 
let's say a GP2 more uh, type car than a Formula One, but we create it in in five months. I think we design it and build it, which was another <laughs> crazy project. Uh, and then yeah, the, the SMP uh, racing uh, things and uh, BI engineering, where uh, basically um, uh, the Russian came to me and said, okay. Uh, we were in February and they say we're starting the season end of March and you have uh, two months to create a team of four cars with uh, all the infrastructure that are the, at the level of a Formula One team, you know, and it was another fun challenge and we win with them. Then we create the, the BR01, LMP2, then LMP1. So it was, it was quite a quite nice uh, experience. And when it stopped, uh, the next challenge for, for me was, okay, I've done all this. I always had my eyes on Formula One because obviously it's the pinnacle of, of motorsport. With the experience I had, uh, the BA engineering, because we try to commercialize the LMP2 cars in Asia. Uh, the car was allowed to race in the, uh, in um, Asian Le Mans and this kind of competition, but it was not very interesting to the, to the Russians to sell it. So, uh, we didn't do anything over there, but my contact in Asia always told me, okay, if you want to do something in Asia, you have to build a car to do, to do it in Asia. You, you cannot just come and sell cars in Asia. It will work a little bit, but you will not be successful. And at that time, it was in 17 Asia. China especially didn't know anything about really motorsport apart from Formula One. So they were telling me, if you want to do something there, do something big Formula One. This is the only way you will come. And so the project started as a, as a Chinese, as a Chinese project with some Chinese backers and, and then it evolved during time. But that's six years I'm, I'm working on, on bringing a new team in Formula One with the up and downs, the COVID and stuff like that. So it has been quite a ride, yes. And, uh, Andy, lucky sons. An unusual name. Where did it come from? Who who takes the credit? Who gets the bragging rights for the name? Um, I do. Um, I, I take a little bit of um, slack for it, um, but I, but I, but I, I welcome that as well because this is lucky. The name Lucky Sons is, I suppose, my way of, of sticking two fingers up to the traditionalists. Um, yeah, we knew there would be backlash. Yeah, it's perfect. But I think you know we, we've got to in sport we've got to make we've we've got to make people feel something. Um, and, and I think I think just that sort of what the f is that you know that sort of straight away that makes that, that makes somebody feel something. Obviously, you know, officially the name combines the sun. You know, um, luck is very symbolic across Asia, um, as is the sun. The sun rises from the east and sets in the west, much like what Lucky Suns wants to do. Um, and so, um, you know, Steve Price, who I know you've been speaking to, we were sort of tasked with coming up with the name we did it pretty quickly it was literally done in a google doc there's a long list of about 50 sort of strange names that you know we think well that's the one that's the no 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 paul and benjamin are never going to go with that one that type of thing you know and and i think unofficially you know it's sort of as, as much as it's about luck and it's about the sun unofficially it means different things to me every day and i and i and i genuinely hope people that are sort of following the lucky sun's journey at the moment i hope it has the same sort of effect with them you know we could have called this duran pyra uh, fleming f1 but then that becomes about us um, and that's typically what a formula one team would do you, you can see it with and i don't want to badmouth people but that, you, you see it with williams you see it with andretti you, see, you know up, up and down the up and down the grid um we didn't want it to be about us because it's not about us it's about the people that we want to um, bring into the sport and create pathways etc etc um and I think just sort of calling it Lucky Sons, having a couple of Ks, put a Z on the end, it sort of just creates a little bit of a different attitude. 
um, that, that makes it a little bit more relevant for for now and, and and for the future and for the audiences that we we um, believe that we can entice into into Formula One as well as the, the wider world of the motorsport. Andy, I've got to ask. Um, I was having a look on both yours and Ben's and uh, Benjamin's uh, LinkedIn's before this, and is this yeah. a rebranded Panthera? Because Panthera is a name that we'd heard like years back, and you say you, you know this project's been six years um, in, mm. in the making. Um, if so, what was the change, or, or is this something different to that entirely? Well, this is kind of something entirely different. You know, like, like Benjamin um, alluded to earlier. You know, Benjamin set on this sort of path of Formula One about six years ago. Um, I joined about two years later, and, and but, but Pantera was Benjamin and Michelle Orts. Um, you know, Michelle, lovely guy, um, very clued up on on on, on business, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But ultimately, we got to we all sort of got to the point where I think we all had different um, uh, commitments or how, how committed we were to what the project actually stood for. And, you know, there was no sort of falling out or, or anything serious behind it. It was just like, look, I think, you know, there's, there's just different directions that half of us are going in. And, and, and you, Michelle, is, you, know, you, you can go and carry on and do whatever you want and take it down that direction. So it's not a rebrand of Pantera. It's a completely new entity. Um, we didn't enter as Pantera and change our name up, change our name up to Lucky Sons. Lucky Sons is a, is a completely completely separate entity to Pantera. Now, there's obviously a lot of money in Formula One. It costs a lot of money to enter Formula One. Benjamin, where, where does your backing come from? Where's your money coming from? And how much money have you got to throw at this? <clears throat> As we announced, we... we we had a partner that is um, Legends Advocates. It's a U.S. sports fund. It's a small U.S. sports fund compared to other ones in terms of reputation and, and things they have done. But they have <clears throat> very, very huge <clears throat> resources and people behind and and uh, uh, structure behind banks and stuff like that. So they were able to raise the one billions that we that we announced. Um, that's, they actually that's, raised that's, more than that. There is more than there is more than that. They have the capacity to raise more than that. Let's say that they they, they reached the threshold of of one billions, and and as we were keeping doing the the process with the FIA, more people came to them to say, okay, if you if you're in, we also want to be in. So they could have raised more uh, if needed. Uh, that said, uh, since since then and since the bid has been. Uh, uh, decline. We have continued to work with them uh, and with other parties, and we have now uh, many other people coming, not only from US but from the territories where we want to develop, like Southeast Asia and Africa, who basically told us, "Yeah, we are interested in what we are doing. Uh, we want to be part of it, and it's probable that the next phase will be not only with uh, these US sports funds, but." them because obviously they are our partners and we keep uh, working with them and we are happy, very happy to work with them but also with other parties that are more on the ground on the territories where we were uh, which was a little bit lacking uh, in, in the bid we had before because the process is so complicated with the FIA. If you come with too much entities as your your backers, they, they need to do all the due diligence. They need to do all those things. So as a simplification, we went through with our main backer that is Legends and eventually would be able in, in, in the future to bring back 
some some invest local investor that was part of the plan we we had but in any case we would have been funded completely since day one um but now in the process of what we are doing, we are trying to structure it a little bit different where from day one, we are, we are uh, partnering with those people also. I think what's really interesting, guys, is that, you know, we went through that FIA process. So we had to, we had to, we had to create something really quickly. Um, and we had Legends Advocate Sports Group behind us, as well as their institutional um, banking partner and the various family offices and, and athletes that they work with. Um, then we got declined. And you sort of think, you know, there was always that sort of, of course, we're going to support you through, you know, through to, to getting onto that Formula One grid. Um, but what we found is, is that when we were declined, the interest spiked um, because I think, well, the interest from other funds and other investors spiked because they could see what we were trying to do with, with, with essentially sort of creating a team that, that 80% of the world could identify with, you know, through Asia and through Africa. And I don't. I feel that they feel that we were wronged. That we had a really solid business plan, and all of a sudden, others want to come in and start to sort of flex their financial muscle, thinking, "Well, this is wrong." You know, if obviously they want to take a look at the numbers, they want to take a the, take a look at the business plan, they want to take a look at the setup, they want to see what sort of conversations we're having from a sponsorship point of view and another sort of revenue point of view. But they like it, and they they, they like they like just the core idea of it is is that we're trying to do something good. We're not just we don't just want to be a sports team that exists to to sell sponsorships so we can go racing. There is an underlining thing that we're trying to solve, and that is we believe that obviously um, that there's no access for people in Africa. There's no access to to people in Asia for Formula One, um, and that's and as a world championship, that's 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 a real problem. It's got to be a problem for a world championship. Um, and and of course, if you can solve that, then you've got this you've got these two massive continents that where. You know, they can not only um, become part of the team and help build the team so they can cheer on their own team, they can identify with it. They can, much like you're trying to do with content creators, we, were, we, we wanted to do the same sort of thing. We wanted to have content creators internally yeah, because yeah, the main protagonists of, of a Formula One team is always the team principal and the two drivers. Yeah, Not everyone could be a team principal or a driver. Somebody might want to be a, a truck driver. Somebody might want to be a, a guy in comms. Somebody might want to be a guy in marketing or... or or technical and engineering, et cetera, et cetera. You know, when, when people start to see themselves in somebody else, they're more likely to sort of, you know, the light, the light, the light flashes, right? It's like, shh, you know, these guys can do it. I can do that. So, you know, setting up the academies and the educational programs, et cetera, is going to feed into, in, into the team. And, and basically more and more and more investors started to see for, see Lucky Sands for what it was. It had a real purpose. And yes, it's going to cost money, but it costs, you know, it takes money to do good. Takes a lot of money to do good in terms of Formula One, but um, but there are investors out there that we're now sort of you know, having conversations with, still approaching us that that, that, that that want to come on board despite us having been declined, and I think that's a real, yeah, that, that's something really strong because that shows we're on the right track. That shows that what we are doing is believable. It might not be believable to the FIA that we could actually do what we we wanted to do and said we were going to do, but it's but importantly, it's believable to the people with the with with the money in their pockets. That are ready to invest in such a project. Now we'll we'll move on to um, diving a bit deeper into why the FIA think this isn't isn't the right time for you in a moment. But I'm just curious. It, so with your sort of history of working with the likes of the Hearns and you know the way that they shook up the snooker industry and the darts industry and they've you know they've dragged these sports into a totally new era, boxing as well. 
Which, where would you position yourself in this team? Are you team principal? Are you going to be in the paddock with the, with the likes of Horner and, and Toto Wolf being like, right, boys, here we go. Let's shake it up a little bit. I, I can see Andy just smashing up the paddock. This is going to be great. Well, look, look, I, I certainly, well, hang on. Well, I'm not smashing up anything for a start. Just before <laughs> people get the wrong idea about Lucky Sons, yeah. And certainly not team principal material. You know, I could, I could not tell you a front wheel from a, from a rear wheel. Um, and, and, and in fairness, you know, that's, that's sort of more Benjamin side of things. But I'm, you know, I, if you understand my background, my background is, is I want to get people hyped. I, yeah, I, I want, I, I don't, I feel that Formula One is very generic. Um, and I, I feel that it's very generic because, um, because of the, the environments that Formula One teams are built on. Everything's got to be perfect. Um, everything's got to be just uh, uh, consistent. And I think, yeah, we enter a world today where things don't necessarily have to be like that. It's sort of the, it's the old brand versus the new brand mentality. You know, an old brand is about careful consistency. Well, for Lucky Sons is a new brand. We're about creative chaos. You know, an old brand is about um, brand purpose. We're about brand energy. Um, and and, and I, I can just keep rattling these off, you know. So it's not about going into the paddock and, and smashing things up and, and creating arguments with Toto and Christian. It's more about getting audiences hyped and, 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 and sort of putting an, a certain energy into that paddock, which I think is fairly stale. Um, it's very same old, same old. And, and, I, and I, I have the belief that you've got to make people feel something. And at the moment, when, when, the, tra- when the action on the track isn't necessary because it's so predictable, it's not necessarily making people feel things. Where's the enjoyment for the audience? Where's the enjoyment for the fan? We can't just rely on drive to survive, guys. Do you know what I mean? Because that comes at the that comes two or three months at the end of the season, just before the new season begins. So yeah, what, we we come in with with the very best intentions, not just because of you know bringing underrepresented communities into the sport. We come in with a purpose of of just sort of like livening things up slightly, creating a few rivalries, perhaps, but just being true, being honest, and being raw. Not 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 polished. We're we're anything but polished. We're more sort of experiential. Benjamin. So no, but I will not be team people. <laughs> That's a shame. I, I, you've, got, you've got the look for it, Andy. You've got the look for it. I could definitely see you as a TP. Uh, toe-to-toe. No, I don't think Christian. so. I don't think so. <laughs> 100%. No, no, Benjamin, I wanted to ask. So, obviously, if, let's just say, if the FIA had approved the entry, then you would have obviously had encountered the hurdle that Andretti Cadillac are encountering right now, which is the commercial rights holder. How do you think you would have... You know, because there's, there's a separate question as to whether the teams and the rights holders should be allowed to to reject them. Obviously, um, Cadillac have now said they're going to bring an engine from 2028. How would you have sold this to the teams? And do you think the resistance that Andretti Cadillac, we, they've got literally, they've got GM. GM are there with Andretti, you won a world title, one of the biggest names in the US, and they're still struggling. Do you think now that actually... That might yeah, have been insurmountable, or do you think you would have still had a chance? Again, it's 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 part of what we had to do and still keeping doing is to educate the teams, educate the F one, educate the FIA on what we are doing and what we are trying to bring. Uh, Andretti arrive and, and start to say, I mean, one year ago, I'm going to come to Formula One, I'm going to create a team in two years. And in three years, I'm going to be world champion and I'm going to kick your ass uh, to everybody that is in Formula One. 
So that that was his attitude. That's a very American attitude, and, and good for him if he, if he can do it. I don't think he can because Formula One is more complicated than that. But it's the attitude. Then he started to antagonize everybody. But the Andretti style. It's the Andretti style. I mean, if you if you know him, you know the guy a little bit in the NASCAR paddock, in the IndyCar paddock, whatever wherever he is. He has this reputation to be a little bit. Um, uh, an A guy, uh, A being the word, uh, I would not say. Feisty. Uh, feisty. Yeah, feisty guy and stuff. And so okay, it's his brand. It's his, it's his way of doing it. It's a, so I think this did not pan well at the beginning with F1. Um, calling them greedy, uh, et cetera, doesn't help. That's for sure. They are concerned and they have legitimate concern that we understand. I mean, some of them went, uh, to struggle to see teams uh, almost dying. I mean, people that are working right now in Aston Martin, they knew uh, Racing Point, they knew uh, the, the, the team before, people in Minardi. There is still a lot of people that have experience in F1. I've seen team dying. I've, I've seen team. I've seen the championship in, in bad situation. Five years ago, the, the, the team, the, the championship was not good. Uh, when Liberty arrived, uh, we understand right away that this was the opportunity. The, 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 I had no doubt that the, the championship will grow and will arrive to this. Maybe not in this short term. I thought it would have taken more time, but I had no doubt about this. But if you look at what was going on at the end of the Eccleston era, teams were dying, uh, manufacturers were going. So it, it, they had, they had this, still this fear and they want to protect uh, this so not doing uh, anything so we understand that and we, we we understand that we 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 cannot come to tech obviously we create some disruptions coming as a new team but you need to see what is coming behind us what what is the what is the the big picture not the yeah if you say it's even teams then you have another teams that taking uh, uh, a pie of the, the the part of the pie and obviously everything is reduced but yeah guys but what we're trying to do is also giving you the opportunity to grow the pie in markets that you are not right now because okay america was the focus everybody was doing to america with some success that we've seen but what is the next step? The next step is Asia. The next step is Africa. And you cannot just say we're going to make a, a race in Africa and expect suddenly it's going to create the same amount of of passion that you have in in US right now. It, it needs to go further than that. And we are the people on the ground who can do that. We are the people who can bring you that. And also another thing is that they are kind of pushing under the rug right now. And I think they, make, they are making a huge mistake is the diversity side. You know, nobody is talking about diversity anymore right now. I mean, after the the the, the Floyd uh, things, the Black Lives Matter movement, etc., there was this push also in F1. You had this presentation before the anthems and stuff like that. Uh, and then the, the the public appetite for these things uh, it dissipate. So they, they they say, okay, we we put it on the side. We still okay with the diversity, etc., but they are not doing really anything to push it. And I think it's going to come back and bite them in the ass at one point because somebody will will start again to say, will realize, okay, look, guys, you, you, you've you done all those things. You've said that you're, you're doing uh, with driver as one, etc., etc., all those things, but what can you, what can you show for it? Uh, if you take a picture of the of the team at the end of the uh, 19th season, which was the year before they start the program, uh, we race as one, and a picture of the paddock right now at the end of the season, I don't see a lot of evolutions. 
and and I'm not the only one to see it. And somebody at one point, and and with the the aggressiveness that you have in the world right now, you will have some militants. You have some people that will start trash F1 about it. And if they have people like us that are working with them to bring this diversity, to bring the motorsport, to make understand that F1 is not just this bunch of white guys looking for money, but there is something else, then they will be prepared to, to attack that. My worries is that it will have- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And when it will happen, then suddenly they will react and not, you know, uh, instead of being prepared, they will react and say, "Okay, what can we do to, to to like like they did the 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 we uh, rest as one, you know." In, so our our goal is to educate them, is to tell them, guys, we are not here to to attack you. We are not here to we are not even here to win championship and race. We are not here to be, to take the big money. I mean, we we expect to finish between 9 and 11th or 12th of the championship the initial years because we put resources, we put effort in the diversity program, in the academies, in bringing this, doing something outside of UK. So obviously you, you lose performance. You spend money where others didn't spend money. Uh, so, so we, and we're okay with that. So the, the, our goal now is to educate them, to tell them, Hey, we're not the enemy here. There's, there's a bigger picture at play. And, and, and you're right. I mean, you know, obviously Formula One is doing certain things to try and improve diversity and inclusion, not just in terms of the color of people's skin, but their sex, their gender. You know, they've, they've got their fun academy, obviously, which is, is trying to encourage more, more girls into the sport. And there is a lot of organizations, teams and entities trying to encourage more participation from underprivileged background, underrepresented groups. It's a bit interesting to me. I read a, a stat on, um, um, LinkedIn yesterday, I think it was a females in motorsport or girls on the grid. I'm not sure which one, apologies. But um, they they said that there's not been one woman on the podium giving out any of the presentations the entire year from any of the teams this year, which I thought was quite a startling fact. Um, but there are entities trying to do certain things, or, you know, LGBTQ, that whole community is being represented well by Racing Pride. And I was in Austin, Texas for the race out there and the paddock was full of their representatives, which was great to see that the Formula One was trying to embrace that. But I think you're certainly right from a, you know, if you look at um, the Far East and Africa, there, there seems to be this this huge opportunity there. And and you've put your bid in. It's been rejected the first time. W- with that now, with the learnings that you've taken from your entry, when you come to go back to them and say, right, we're ready, let's, let's bid again. Here we go. Here's everything. With everything mapped out and that huge market there to be taken. Andy, is, is there any reason why they... W- what reason will they give not to let you guys in? Well, that's, you know, putting another bid in, 
you know, you know, we've got to be realistic. Um, that's probably that that's unlikely to be able to happen until the next Concord Agreement has been signed. When essentially we would we would all hope that this sort of this shit show of a process has all been ironed out because you know the FIA opened up the process not with the backing of Formula One, essentially, regardless of of what they may say. You know there are still serious questions rumbling on now as to whether or not Formula One actually wants an eleventh team, and that's that's really quite grubby because people have had to pony up three hundred thousand dollars to enter that process. You know ourselves obviously included. Um, and you've got Andretti and you've got the other two bidders as well. And, and, and quite rightly so, I think the three that haven't got this, that didn't get as far as Andretti can probably feel quite wronged because as ben, you know, Benjamin can talk better on this than, than I, you know, essentially we could all do it. You know, we all had the backing to do it. We all had the technical capabilities to do it. Um, we all had the interest. We had the brain, you know, every, every, everything basically, okay? everything that was submitted just show, just highlighted that we could actually, we could, we could have a Formula One team on the grid by 2026. Anyway, so there's there's a, there's a number of different ways we can look at it. We can we can wait for that process to open up again if it opens up again because you know maybe even in in the new Concord they don't allow an eleventh team or a twelfth team. Um, you know who, who knows? That's sort of in the lap of the gods at the moment. That's that's between the teams, the FIA and and and, and Formula One. Um, so we could wait for that, but that may not may or may not happen. It may might not even happen in the time frame that we we would like. So we have a few different options. Do we reverse engineer what we were trying to do? And that is look at other series, uh, which is you know something that we were always going to have. We were always going to have Formula One as the as the spearhead, but because of our academy and belief that we want to funnel people into the the, the, the the highest levels of motorsport, of course we were going to look at opportunities within Formula E. Of course we were going to look at opportunities um, within uh, within WEC as well. And that's exactly what we are doing as well at the moment. You know, we are locked in discussions with the with a couple of Formula E teams uh, regard surrounding purchasing. Um, same with WEC as well. Um, but also at the same time, you know, we are having discussions around certain Formula 1 teams to get ourselves on the grid um, that way. Um, so there's there's lots of moving parts, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, you know, things are in motion because ultimately we just want to be on a grid. Um, and we want to be on multiple grids as well because that sort of that fits in with our overall purpose. Do you um, do you just ring ring up Gene Haas and make him an offer he can't refuse and just buy the team? See, that's exactly how it happens, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a price, right? Surely, and, and, and no. if anything, Haas obviously Haas do have a UK base, but it's it's quite. It used to be Mauritius. It's quite small. Like, yeah, I, I feel I like it, is it you know if you've got this you know over a billion like. Is, is there a way of you had those conversations or do you think, cause I, I feel like that is the, that's certainly the, what it feels like from the outside looking in the easiest way in because you don't have to jump over all these hurdles. Yeah, right? Yes. Uh, obviously we, we, we have this money, uh, either through our original backer legend or through also other, other people we are talking, talking with right now who are ready to follow us if we, if we go that road. The issue is also what, the price is for what you get because those people as rich as they are and as motivated as they are to come to Formula One, they don't want to over overpay something. And right now the teams are a little bit, I mean, they, they think probably rightly that the price will go up in the future, etc. So nobody is, is in a hurry to, to, to sell any things to anybody, you know, uh, they all see, uh, I mean, I had, we had a crazy conversation with one of them the other day, which I think was 
Enfin, il, il, euh, I don't know if he was saying it just for for the purpose or if he was serious, but he was telling telling us that uh, the, the 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 shareholder of the team thinks that the team will worth five billions in in five years, which I don't think. Uh, honestly, I don't think it goes that high in in this time frame. I think it's continue might continue to rise, uh, but again. If the price is right and and uh, and the things we can do is right with the team, uh, yes, we can go that road. But I, I don't think today there is a lot of teams that are willing to sell uh, the full the full ownership of the team. It will be it's more like you have uh, people investing in Aston Martin, people investing in Alpine, or so we we might be able to do this kind of. Uh, Uh, of things where yeah we get in with one of the teams starting to develop what we are going to develop and eventually purchase the team along the way or, or partner with the uh, joint venture with the actual owners for for developing the team uh, with with the input we have it's very complicated situation i mean buying a team five years ago was easy <laughs> was uh, but problem no, no investor was trusting f1 now that uh, and we were telling them look it's gonna worth one one billion in five years and they were no 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 nobody believed us and 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 now now it was one billion and and nobody wants to sell because they, they all think okay it was one billion this year maybe next year it's two billion no so why should i care and and the other issue is that Most of the uh, current shareholders don't don't have to put back uh, money into the team to pour money into the team. The team with the budget cap are more or less self-sufficient. Yes, us is putting uh, maybe 20 millions from his own uh, companies, but it's sponsorship from his companies. Uh, Williams, I don't know. Probably they're still putting some money, but it's investment for them. So right now, it's not. They don't see themselves as losing money. They see themselves either investing because the, the 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 value of the team is so high, or be at the at the at the level because they have this uh, new uh, budget cap that makes that they don't have to spend that much money. Yeah, it's it's interesting that the you know when you look at a team like Williams who are who are very likely making a loss at the moment, they're still got a valuation of of approaching a billion US dollars. I mean, it, it is it is mad money. When you look at the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes up the front there, you know, certain people valuing Ferrari over $3 billion. It's it's a huge amount of money. Yeah, this is one of the problems at the very at the turn of the year. It was just that, um, yeah, the, there were some crazy valuations coming out by publications. You know, Forbes did one. And I think uh, there was one called Sport Cow, I think, did one. And they're, they're, they're basing the valuations on the sort of, revenue that the teams don't get you know someone one of the one of the publications was suggesting one team gets in 600 million quid a year i, I mean it's just you know and then they were sort of tedx in it you know, you know because that's what formula one valuations are now just, and that doesn't do us any that doesn't do anybody any favors because it puts an unrealistic figure into the in, into the owners of those teams and um and, and ultimately You know, you then sort of, if you are approaching a team to to go in with a view of purchasing it, you're starting off at a crazy amount that just isn't workable, you know, because it's just not real. Um, and, I, and I think the teams need to be a little bit more realistic. I mean, the, 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 the team principle that we were speaking with a couple of days ago, a few weeks back that Benjamin was alluding to, you know, they've just got this very high opinion of, of what that team does and what it's worth. And it's really difficult to to make people like that see sense to then get us through into the owners, right? Because you know, essentially, they're cock blockers. You know, they're there to sort of decide who's 
who who's coming with the, the right amount of money and who's not coming with the right amount of money before they put you onto the on, on, onto the owners. And if they if they've got that attitude that well we don't really need to sell because the owners think it's going to be worth three four five billion in a, in a few years time you know it's really difficult it's a really difficult obstacle to get over. Actually, what, what did you what did you guys make of? I don't know if you saw when James Vowles was being interviewed by Sky Sports F One and he made quite a I would say one of the more articulate um, arguments against an eleventh team because I mean the fan sentiment across the board is we want twelve teams like no doubt. Obviously, James's points were, which I, I mean, he said limited sponsors, which I'm like, no, I don't think that's true. But also, they are still, like you alluded to, Benjamin, they, they are still investing Derilton into that team. They're not operating at a profit. Even Red Bull, if you look at their operating profits after all the costs are taken, it's not crazy, crazy amounts of money, like relative to even relative to the cost cap. But what did, what did you two make of of James's words there? Do you think he he raised some good points or do you think the teams are just being, you know, looking out for themselves, which ultimately, right, this is sport and the F1 teams, they're quite known for being a bit selfish and they just look out for themselves. So where, where did you sit on that? As I said, especially for Williams, they are coming from a point where three years ago they were dying. I mean, there were, there was some serious discussion about uh, the team just, you know, disappearing. So they're coming, they're coming back from, from a point where they, they have been traumatized, let's say. He's cautious. He's right. He has, he has, uh, first of all, I think the team is oversized from, for what they are doing right now. Uh, so, so he has, he has a huge, uh, a, a huge teams to manage and, and, and expect them to do. But again, it's, it's short term thing. I understand what he's saying. If, yes, if I arrive tomorrow and I take you, uh, uh, one eleventh of, of your pie, then, then you, you're going to lose, I don't know, two, three, four, ten millions every year because I'm here. But I'm not going for your sponsor because my market is bringing not your new market. sponsors. Yeah. I, I'm bringing you new sponsors because people that we are talking with, some of them told us, Hey, we love Formula One. But we want to be on the Ferrari. We want to be. You create this emulation where everybody, like when they went to US, from us to to Red Bull, they all have US sponsor right now because it's so huge in, in US. Everybody benefits from the US, and and you cannot say it's because Williams did a good job that they have a, a, a US uh, a US sponsor. It's because they they benefit from Formula One being in US and being successful, and they did some good job also after. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying that they are they are bad in marketing, but that that helps. So it's the same thing. Once Formula One is starting to develop in those regions. With our help, with us coming here and us raising those those uh, involvement of new fans, uh, new sponsor, etc., then there will be trickle down on F1. Just we are discussing with four countries, at least in Southeast Asia, that wants a Formula One race. Four that are actively working right now for Formula One and see, see our team as a good way to push for a Formula One race because obviously it will create uh, uh, motivation with the public, etc. So it will be easier for them to to, to make uh, accept governments, etc. To, to get the races. In Africa, there is six or seven projects right now, more or less serious, but six or seven projects of, of races also. And it's the same. Why, why it's difficult right now for F1 to go to Africa? Because government don't want to pay for, for this 
or they don't have local sponsor or they don't like local backers because nobody care about Formula One. Suddenly you have, you have people on the ground like us developing Formula One over there, making this new fan base. And suddenly, yeah, those sponsors start to say, Oh yeah, but uh, uh, now there is a huge uh, part of the people in Africa uh, uh, going for Formula One. I can sponsor, I can sponsor Formula One. It's, it's, it's a trickle down. So don't see what we are taking. See what is the big picture of what we are bringing. I, I think that's the most, for, for me, that's the most admirable part of, of your bid. I think having, you know, we've got, what, seven of the teams have a base within 50 miles of each other or whatever it is. And that's a product of the history of the sport and where it started and where the talent pool was. But at the end of the day, STEM, STEM talent is not exclusive to, to the UK, not by any stretch of the imagination. And so I think going to, like you say, maybe Africa, maybe Southeast Asia, I think that is, that's super interesting. I think that's a, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think it's very short-sighted for the sport to to kind of almost ignore that because none of the other teams are really going in from from, from that angle. But but Andy, like of, of the locations, and obviously you've talked about Southeast Asia and Africa, like where, you know, today where feels like the most serious or, or are you still open to, to, you know, North, whether it's like North Africa or Southeast Asia, wherever, is, is there a specific area you've kind of, you know, identified that you'd really like to be the base or are you still quite open to, to that region? So generally? just, there's something else I want to bring up about the sponsorship in a second as well. So just remind me on that. But we, we so in um, in Southeast Asia, we're, we're really lucky to have um, a strategic advisor working with Lucky Sons called Marcus Lua. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Marcus, Tim, um, but he he set up Total Sports Asia back in the late 90s and essentially became the, sort of the, the founding father of sports marketing across Asia. Um, with that, obviously, having been in business for so many years across Asia, he has a number of governmental connections and contacts that, you know, that he's basically, that we've leveraged, right? So we're, you know, we we've we've had discussions with with ministers from governments we've had discussions with rulers from from various countries you know and we go from malaysia thailand indonesia um, vietnam etc cetera, etc cetera. so at the moment those are the ones that are in play um, obviously we have to have a team to be able to then sort of um, make those or, or to, to to bring ourselves to a point where we can make a final decision um, you know malaysia has a long history um, of, of, of motorsport and of Formula One, and and I think Malaysia certainly would really like another Formula One, um, uh, sorry, another Grand Prix at Sepang. Um, they find it a little bit too expensive. Yeah, fair enough, right? Because Formula One has this really good sort of does this really good good job of flying in somewhere, taking the money, and then disappearing off to the next to the next place. It's gonna it's gonna cough up fifty million quid. Um, so you've got to give these places a, a reason to sort of be able to leverage that Grand Prix or leverage that. Um, 365 days a year. How do you do that? You, you you have a team that's based there. You have a team that's that's going up and down the country, um, um, engaging with communities, doing events, um, just sort of just activating, right? Rather than just being able to just act, rather than just activating for, for race week, um, you, you've got to give people a reason to cheer and, and a reason to really get involved and, and, and support what that government wants to do. That government wants to bring Formula One because it, there, there are the benefits, but there are the benefits for those sort of that race week. Um, and, and they'll say there are benefits throughout the year. Well, let's make it a little bit more sort of concrete. You know, let, let, let's really sort of help develop the economy. Let's really help develop the schools, the educational systems, the work, you know, the workplace, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what, 
happens with um, by, by taking a Formula One team into the into these territories. I do, I do want to just revisit the question about James Vowles and, and his comments about sponsorship, um, and 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 his comments about how difficult it is to 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 bring in sponsors. Um, and I think you know he, he's he's hit the nail on the head. Unless you're a Red Bull or a, or a Mercedes or, or a McLaren, because obviously Zach does what Zach does, right? Um, you know, the others they are struggling to to bring in sponsorship money, and and I think they've got to really look at themselves and, and and ask themselves the question: Why are we why are we struggling to bring any sponsors into the sport or any new money into the sport? Why are we always having to sort of dip into other teams and try and steal them, et cetera, et cetera? And it was it was a comment that um, Carlin said um, after he got declined. Um, he said it in one of the big, um, one of the one of the national papers. It was just that Formula One teams are really good at making cars go fast, but business, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they're 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 the best businessmen because to me, if you're struggling with selling sponsorship, you've got to take a long hard look at yourself and why am I struggling? You know, what have I got to switch up? What have I got to do differently? Um, you know, Williams specifically. Williams rely massively on that Williams heritage. And and I think we're in a day and age now where people really don't give a shit about heritage, yeah, because we're all we're all mad and we're all desperate for that sort of that, that seven second hit of whatever it is. And and I don't think the younger generations, I don't think the youth of today really care too much. Yeah, the new whether not you've been on the grid, the, exactly. Yeah, and is and is that not sort of what we're trying to entice in? So to take a look at your company, take a look at your brand, take a look at what it stands for, take a look at what you're actually doing for sponsors or how you're you're pitching those sponsors because. One of the reasons I sort of exited Formula One and moved into sort of boxing was because I was bored to death of selling what essentially was the same opportunity, but just for a different team and a different price. Um, yeah, and we're talking sort of 2017, 2018. You know, they're still, they were still using case studies from 10 years before. You know, it was, and you'll know this, Tim, it was ING. Um, it, was, it was Hilton case study. It was, it was um, Panasonic. And I've seen I've I've seen decks recently, and it's still it's still the same words, it's still the same images, or you know maybe a little bit more up to date, but it's still the same type of thing that they're trying to they're trying to push onto these brands, these CMOS, and no wonder they're struggling to bring sponsors in because the platform hasn't changed in since I entered in two thousand and ten, and I think that's a real that that that's an issue for for these commercial departments. It's an issue for the for, for the owners of these teams, because they've got to they've got to switch it up, which is exactly what Lucky Suns wanted to do. We wanted to bring it bring in a completely different energy, which is why we were able to get official support from a company from a brand that is globally known. Every day they get pitched by Formula One teams. Every day they get turned down. They came to us and said, "Really like the attitude of what you're trying to do. Um, let's have some conversation." And that 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 brand. Yeah, they 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 rolled with us during the process. Um, they were happy to be named in that process with the FIA. I can't name them to you now um, because we still got to be discreet. But they were part of that process, and it's those types of brands that we, yeah. If if you do something a little bit different, if you if you don't look like everybody else, you're going to attract things, you, or you're going to attract different companies that are interested in what you're doing, and and um, and sort of the, the audience that you can bring them, and the, and the extra business that they. That you will end up bringing them, that you'll end up delivering. So, you know, my answer to James Vowles is just look at your business and see where you can switch it up. And it's the same with Haas. It's the same with Toro, uh, not Toro Rosso, Alpha Tauri. It's the same with any team that's struggling to bring in sponsors. You're struggling for a reason. Switch it up. 
Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And and fair play to Zach Brown, you know, through, you know, the, the work he, he's, well, the knowledge he's gained through JMI. And then, you know, since then, when he, when he came to McLaren, I don't know how many sponsors there were at the time, but they've got over 50 now. You know, they, they've just announced the uh, the Monster Energy deal um, as we speak there was, yesterday, I think it was. There was an image you know, on social media that, of, the, of, of the car when he took over and it just had Shandon. Yeah, and it was, it was orange, it was empty. And all of a sudden, look at that car now. Yeah, you, whatever you think of Zach, and I've got no no negative thoughts about him, but I know there are a few people that think he puts commercial over performance, but obviously that's 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 different. That's proven to be incorrect now as well. He does an incredible job. Yeah, he, he knows how to get incredible. brands on site. Actually, incidentally, you gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling then, Andy, because the three brands you mentioned about the case studies, Hilton, Panasonic, and ING Bank, I led all three of those. And were they all yours? They were I all mine. ING ones. I didn't know about the other Yeah, two. yeah. Panasonic back in the day with Toyota. And it seems like an age ago. And Hilton I've worked on for the last five years up until recently. And um, yeah. they're doing some quite cool stuff in sponsorship, actually, just you know, outside of Formula One and golf and whatever. But um no you're absolutely right and it's, it's fascinating to hear look we're quickly running out of time um we have um a final three questions which we ask all of our guests i'm gonna because there's two of you i'm gonna split this up between you um the first one we're gonna fire at benjamin the second one for you andy and then the third one we're gonna ask you both um tomo do you want to hit benjamin with number one you're muted <laughs> he's still going <laughs> you're muted He's having a crack. <laughs> but he's having a good. He's having a good time with himself. Oh. Though, isn't he? Look, he's laughing. <laughs> so you'd think by this stage, I'd be uh, I'd be professional enough to uh, to know when when or not to. Also, Tim, I don't have the doc with the question. So you ask the first one and then send me. Oh, send me the what an amateur! Not only has he muted himself, he hasn't got his notes up. All right, I'll I'll do it. Um, what's got you excited at the moment, Benjamin? Could be anything. Doesn't need to be motorsport related. But what's what's got you going right now? What's going excited is, is to see the change. Is to see that the, the change in the world, the change in those population, the, the change that we, we've seen on the ground, especially in Africa. Africa is a young continent. When, um, someone just uh, told us this morning, uh, I don't know, I will take his word for it, but says that the average, uh, age of African people, uh, population is around 22 or something like this, which is, crazy young and 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 those countries right now those populations those communities they are moving a lot and it's the same thing we are seeing in, in asia so that's that's comfort us in in, in what we're doing and, and exciting us because if we can be part of this motion if we can be part of it and bring our little piece to the things well i mean we're not leading, uh, uh, thinking of ourselves more than we are but okay we, if we can if we can help if we can if, if we can push a little bit with what we are doing uh, yeah, that's, that's exciting. It's exciting to create something, even when we are rejected, even when you fail. It's exciting to do something. I mean, the only people that never failed are the people that never try, you know? Um, so yeah, we, we, we felt that six years I'm failing, let's say, because I'm trying this for six years, but that doesn't determine that's getting, I'm, I see the light more and more. I see, we are right more and more because I see the support we get. I see the people that are getting behind us. We are getting traction in terms of audience, in terms of people that are interested in what we are doing and believe in what we are doing. So yeah, that's, that's the exciting part. Uh, the exciting part is that, yeah, we are seeing that we are not wrong. Whatever the criticism, whatever we, we do, not exactly the, the way we should do and we adapt, we are not wrong in what we are doing. 
Very good. Like Very that. good. Like now, I, right, Andy, I, question on. for you. I, 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 I had to, got it. You said it to me. I had to WhatsApp Tom the, <laughs> the questions. So now, have, have you got you questions? You didn't send too? me the notes, Tim. You I sent you, you the you notes. You sent me the notes beforehand. Jeez. I have no notes. I'm noteless. I made my own notes. <laughs> I had to I had to go AWOL, AWOL. But I've got the questions now. So on, Andy, what's one lesson your job has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Um okay, so I'm I'm so I'm not a traditional marketeer, as you may have sort of <laughs> sort of figured out by now. But I I'm gonna take it I'm gonna take it this is this is a message to to all marketeers, okay, certainly in sport and specifically in Formula One. Don't waste people's time. You've got to make people feel something. Um, you know, that was one of the my my key lessons when I was sitting opposite Barry Hearn. Yeah, he because he was the best at this. You know, you've got to highlight rivalries. Rivalries sell; they deliver box office moments. Don't water anything down. Just be raw and honest. Just keep doing different things because otherwise, people are going to start looking at what you're doing and literally go like this. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't me freezing. That was just me showing no zero emotion. Yeah, stop. You know, just just don't waste people's time. Be more creative. Very good. Sound advice. Um, right, one for you both. Let's come to you first, Benjamin. Again, can be related to anything in your life. What are you scared of? To get bored. To to have a job that is boring, and uh, that's that's why uh, you know I, I choose this career, and I, I choose this crazy things that other people didn't want to like creating the, the teams in Dubai or doing working with crazy Russians and stuff. Yeah. That's, that's, if my life is boring tomorrow, if my job is boring, I won't do this job anymore, but I think that it's not going to happen anytime soon. Here, here, Andy. <laughs> so what I, so I'm scared of that moment when Ben, when, when Benjamin looks into his crystal ball again and comes up with another idea. <laughs> a constant fear and that sort of leads off quite nicely from benjamin's answer benjamin please <laughs> just <laughs> uh, we have to talk after the yeah. <laughs> basically you're scared of benjamin oh, that's what it comes exactly. down exactly benjamin yeah. in his crystal ball that's what i'm scared yeah. of I love it. What a, what a way to finish. Well, listen, gents, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. It's fascinating to hear inside the minds of people trying to do something that not very many people try and do. Um, it's a hugely challenging thing you've undertaken. And um, and I hope the, uh, the big strides that you've made continue. Um, and one day we see you guys um, on the F1 grid or the Formula E grid or, or somewhere once again in motorsport. But for now, thank you so much to both of you, Andy Benjamin, for joining us on the Motormouth podcast. It's been a pleasure very enjoyable chat guys appreciate it thank you so much for listening to the motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials twitter at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and facebook just search motormouth you can also download the motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 